0: Mega is an improvised satire from the staff of a fictional mega-church. Lord, we are here. Lord, we are here. And we're ready, ready for Christmas. Raise the baby
1: child. Uh, hi, I'm Dale Laban, and uh, this is Mega. Uh, hi, I'm Day Labonte, and this is Mega.
0: Don't be nervous, uh, buddy. Just, just go for it.
1: I'm from Twin Hills Community Church in uh, Broad Ripple, Indiana, in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, and uh, this is my mom's co-host, Gray Haas.
0: <laughs> What's up to the Apostles? How are you? Day, it's so awesome that you're here today. I am so excited to have you back. Oh, thanks so much! That makes me feel so good. I'm really happy to be here. Well, we really know glad. why you're back is because we've got big, great news. Do you want to tell everybody why you're here?
1: uh, uh to well,
0: Tom you G. accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. What day? You, I mean, I mean, day you you welcome Jesus into your life, into your heart, which is awesome.
1: Oh yeah, because of the mosh pit.
0: Yeah, we had a big, awesome altar call uh, kind of mosh pit uh, two weekends ago, and I looked around, and lo and behold, you were up there with some of your kind of weird friends and having a good time and, and really letting Jesus into your heart. And I just said, wow, he, the, you know, Christ can work in really mysterious ways, and I'm just so glad that you've come to accept it.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. um, Yeah, yeah. That, that much, but I thought that was really tight. I like that. I like that
0: a lot. You should I know. That's do why that we did it. That that. Yeah. That's yeah. why I did it. Yeah. It was, I knew everybody yeah. would get really excited to do that. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> so, congratulations, Day. How do you feel? Do you feel different now that you're a Christian? Oh, um, it's interesting that you say that,
1: actually, because I was talking to my mom about that. Because they, you know, a lot of um, the church talks about like you invite Jesus into your heart, which is language that like does not uh, appear in the Bible, and also that then you are like born again, which is also language that doesn't appear in the Bible. Because e- even in that Nicodemus passage, where it, or, or the passage where that's about um, that says born again, actually in the original text is born from above, okay, and right. it's referring to um, actually resurrection after after your life but um i see what you're saying day 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 okay
0: slow your roll i'm here sorry are you okay man (sighs) sorry i choked on my energy drink oh okay day i'm gonna just slow your roll here for a second i'm saying you finally accepted jesus i don't want to get into all this semantics about different words and where they were used in the Bible and everything else. You've got to be feeling awesome and you've got to be feeling pumped up. I mean, you are going to live forever now. And now that you are a Christian, you've got to wear the mantle of Christ. And I just think that is such a cool thing. I think, why don't you, can't you just, you know, relax for a minute is what I'm telling you and just really lean into this idea that, you know, God's got a plan for your life now. Oh, God has a plan for my life. I know has, you know, God's got a plan for your life. Oh, why do you think that? Uh, because the Bible tells us that God's got a plan for your life.
1: That's that's in the Bible? Like, I mean, I've got to Oh, you're thinking of Jeremiah 29, 11, when God says, surely yeah. I know the
0: plans I have for you? Yes, that's exactly what I'm speaking of.
1: Oh, cool. I- except that God was speaking to the nation of Israel in that passage and he was referring to Jesus coming as the Messiah. That's the plan that he's talking about. So maybe telling young people to tune into God's plan for them isn't exactly helpful instruction. In fact, it gave me anxiety for years, just wondering like, oh, what is God's plan for me? And how am I supposed to discover it? And what if I get off course, you know? But I mean, Jesus never mentioned God having a plan for our lives, but in Matthew six thirty-four, Jesus does say not to worry about tomorrow. So that'd be cool if like, maybe Jesus is saying, just be present. Like maybe that's a good plan. Like uh, be present, because right. then
0: you'll have less anxiety and depression. And yeah, all that, so. I'm trying to be present right now, day. And what I'm telling oh. you is, yeah, don't worry about tomorrow, okay. because you can think of yourself as a uh, you know you are like the the people of Israel. God does have a plan for your life now, and I think that's right. You should be in the present, and if you're in the present, you can hear that still small voice of God telling you where to go, what to do, and how to do it.
1: Mm. Oh wow. Okay. I just um. Okay. I'm trying to like wrap my head around the tradition that I was born into. And, and I feel like I've tried so long to like believe it and to like get it right. And so I do a lot of reading and studying about it. Right, You definitely
0: haven't gotten it right up to this point, but I'm hoping that after the mosh pit two weekends ago, you've going to kind of like divorce yourself from all that uh, stuff and confusing stuff that you've been reading and doing and instead recommit your life to... You know, following Jesus. I think it's pretty easy day. You think the Bible's confusing? I think the Bible is very straightforward. Oh, yeah. I think it's got the answers for everything. Oh, you do? Totally. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. Yeah, so just, you know, lean into it. Hmm.
1: Okay. I mean... I did want to tell you, it's interesting that the last time I was here, I was like theorizing that most Christians reference the Bible as their source of morality and the basis of their entire belief system, but they're actually not reading it and they don't know what's in there. And you know what I learned is that I realized that there's this like longstanding trend, I guess you would say, with believers not reading their sacred texts that they're basing their lives on. And the roots of that come from illiteracy. Like most of the people who were exposed to the original text of the Old Testament were illiterate. So they went to the temple for the leaders to tell them what was in there. Believe me, sometimes
0: I wish you were illiterate.
1: Oh, I actually really love to read. Right.
0: I know. I think that's part of the problem.
1: But like most of Western civil, like religious history of Western civilization was like that too. Like, um, you know, people would go to church so that they, because they, they, cause they couldn't read. But you know, even now that like our current Bible has been canonized, and you know, um, we're not like peasants who have to go to church to hear what's in the Bible. We can actually read it themselves. Um, now you know, most though most current current Christians can read, they still go to church to have someone else explain it to them. So maybe it's just a tr- tradition to not read it. <laughs>
0: But I have been reading it. Like, I actually know what's in there. Right. You know, Day, you could actually maybe stand to read a little less of it and do a little more listening about people who really do know it and can tell you what to think about it.
1: Rather than just read it myself. And right. Like,
0: like me, like your mom, like Steve, like we've read it and we know what's in there and we know how to teach it. And I think sometimes, you know, Day, I liken it to, uh, okay, you... Uh, Want to shoot a crossbow? You've never shot a crossbow before, and you load up a crossbow and then look out. You end up with a arrow, you know, through your your your, your shoulder blade or something like that because you didn't know how to load it right. You point it in the wrong direction. Uh, you know, you held on to the arrow pad and it shot the you know the the gun part rather than the other way around. You know what I mean? And basically, the Bible is just like that. You've got to know how to use the Bible so that it is working properly when you go to dispatch it. And I think that is the problem is right now you've kind of like loaded up the wrong kind of stuff. And then when you go to use it, it's just coming out like, you know, you, you, you're shooting arrows all over the place, but It's gonna ricochet.
1: Mm. Okay. <laughs> ask you like one of my biggest questions is is it is it helpful is your faith is it is your faith helpful to you like it does it bring you peace and joy or at least some like self-love or compassion
0: totally i'm awesome
1: does it give you what you need like what what is it that you need from it like do you need answers and guideposts to understand or does it give you meaning or does it give you like a deep stillness and perspective, or does it ease your suffering? Or?
0: I think it gives me all that day. I mean, really, and I'm speaking personally. I think my faith is awesome. I think it's ironclad and bulletproof. I think it helps me in times of need. I think it gives me answers in times of questioning. I think it gives me an awesome community like you, youth, and people you know in the youth group and climax and um, uh, and also awesome adults in my life and people like Steve, and it's just, you know, it's my rock and foundation, and I Mm. think once you have something like that, I mean, brother, you are not going to want to let it go.
1: Mm. So, it gives you answers to the unanswerable questions, and it gives you, like, a mental hook to hang on to, like, at funerals and hard times and stuff, but... Does it also kind of give you like a low-grade anxiety or worse, like a self-loathing rather than self-compassion?
0: Day, the day I became a Christian, I knew that, you know what? This is actually taking the sinful creature that is me and it just is like totally transforming me into like this awesome version of myself. Oh, wow. And cool. so, no, doesn't give me anxiety. And in fact, it gives me, it pumps me up. Mm-hmm. It's the reason I get up in the morning. And, oh, wow. uh, yeah, I've never even, I've never looked back. So it sounds like he's really good for you. Oh, I was the best. It's awesome.
1: It's funny. My dad, he recently had to have a colonoscopy and okay. you know, that's something that's like good for you, but it's not fun. You know what I mean? But I honestly think that, um, that, uh, that's a way that a lot of Christians approach their belief system. Like it's not fun, but I have to do it for my own good, you know, almost like a colonoscopy. So it's, it's nice to hear that that it is just like really like pleasant for you as well because like before uh, his colonoscopy my dad he had to fast for a really long time and he had to drink this gallon of like disgusting prep liquid okay. and it was something that was like necessary for him for the good of his long-term health care and all that but you know like i think about it like this sometimes like what if you were to go into a restaurant and say clear the tables take away everyone's fillets and fries and desserts because everyone has to drink this prep liquid good because it's good for you so everyone has to do it and you know isn't that a little like what christians are doing with their answers and their faith like i've committed to this thing so it must be for everyone like as a man i have to say you know that uh, i have to have a say in all women's private health care and in the marriages of other couples and in the books that are in schools i must determine what other people can and I do with their health and their bodies
0: and their relationships and their free time day it's not like drinking a prep liquid i don't even know where you get these analogies sometimes but well, no it's, it's just, like it's, drinking it's, a delicious liquid that gives you all the sustenance you need in fact I'll, I'll do you one better it's like drinking the best creatine shake you've ever had and mm. then going to gym and and being able to just lift anything you know really mm-hmm. gives you that much strength spiritually oh, cool. Wow. Okay.
1: So that's, that's the essence of e- even evangelizing. It's like, this shake is so good. I want it for everybody else. Like yeah, that.
0: totally. And also, you know, they have people that if they don't have that shake, they're going to end up at a, you know, at an orange theory.
1: Okay. So everyone has to live according to your standards because, are you talking about because of heaven or hell? You're saying? Right.
0: Because, you know, if they go to orange theory, they're not going to be happy because I did that once and it was a nightmare. What is it? Orange Theory is a workout place? Yeah, it's just like a gym that's filled with a lot of middle-aged ladies. Anyway, Day, I'm just saying that this is the best choice, and that's why it's awesome. That's why we're all so into it, this particular shake, if we're going to go up with this whole shake thing.
1: So you want everyone to be able to taste your shake.
0: Right. And, and, and you know, we we are Disciples of all nations. That means we've got to sign up everybody for this awesome gym that we're a part of.
1: uh, because why because you're trying to save them from hell you're trying to get them into heaven right exactly but i it's funny i was reading because like there's not really biblical support for this idea that christians are espousing about heaven like the bible doesn't actually say that heaven is the final destination for people who've been atoned but you know for by committing their lives to christ it, it just isn't in the bible and, and, and if you think it is please enlighten me with a scripture reference because like christians tend to take a few new testament verses and read them as if they're saying that heaven is where christians are headed for like an eternal paradise but that's just not supported by the text when the bible references heaven it's referring to the spirit world as opposed to the material world like we have earth language in the bible referencing the world around us that we experience through our five senses but then the bible says there is a spirit realm simultaneous to the material world like The idea of an eternal paradise awaiting you if you believe right is actually a medieval concept that comes from pagan theology or ideology. Uh,
0: Day, have you just been watching Matrix all day long again?
1: Oh, the new Matrix uh, isn't out yet. It comes out on the 22nd.
0: Okay, well, what I'm saying is what you're saying is, okay, great. You can call it the spiritual, spiritual realm. But, you know, we're going to call it heaven, and that is where we are all going so that we can be with Christ again.
1: It's interesting. Actually, now
0: it makes me think of what
1: we're saying about, like, illiterate people having to go to church to find out, like, what was in the sacred scriptures. Because, like, and we've already talked about the idea of hell before last time I was on here. And and that, you know, the idea of hell has come to grip Christians as a place of eternal torment for the unsaved. also, of course, is nowhere to be found in the Bible, but remember what I said about how the masses were illiterate so they would go to church to tell someone? Well, that gave leaders the opportunity to create dogma to sway the culture, and those ideas took hold, and they're now commonly referred to by churchy-jerk folk, but it's really just mind-control methods to keep people in line. and now a lot of Christians think that morality is Bible-based, but again, they're not really reading the
0: Bible or considering the actual character of God that's described in there in the Bible. Day, why does everything to you have to just be like a Bible thing? How about look around you? Because, yes, the Bible's true, but also all of this awesome stuff around you is proof that God is real, Jesus is real, and look at the beautiful things he's doing in your life. I mean, look at this amazing church community that you're a part of. Oh, uh, yeah, I want to hear more about that. Like, what's all the proof around me all the time? That's so cool. I mean, it's just like... You can't look at a tree or a, you know, awesome, like, you know, jet ski or anything like and think, oh, that is something that could exist without God. Because we are so wonderfully and fearfully made. And we got these amazing brains. I mean, you don't see like a bunch of monkeys out there making jet skis. And so what I'm saying to you, Day, is the proof is all around you. We live in this wonderful mystery. And some things, indeed, can't be explained, and we will come to know the truth once we get to heaven, or the spiritual realm is what you want to call it, fine day. I'm yeah, just the, saying.
1: That, but that's not one day. That's now. Like, the way the, the Bible talks about heaven is that it's now. It's like, right, it's simultaneous to the present. Oh, maybe that's why Jesus said to be present. <laughs> hey, you just made me think of something, though. If you're like, how can there be a tree or a jet ski? um have you heard of the god particle no it's so it's something that's happening like with physicists and the over in um oh the hadron collider is in um what country is that in um cern over in cern i think it's switzerland there's a uh hadron collider that um is like basically it's like shoving particles at each other and it's creating these little big bangs and um like uh 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 these particles are like dripping off and they're catching what is like um uh some physicists call it the god particle like um like the higgs field they're they're starting to like capture um like particles of the Higgs field, which they say is the, like maybe it's the interconnectedness that's keeping everything together. And that, um, uh, and they call it the God particle because it's, it's, um, something that's around us all the time, but we can't see it and we don't, uh, recognize it according to the five senses that we have. It's like if you were to tell a goldfish about water, they'd be like, What are you talking about? Like, that's just nothing. And you're like, No, you're in water, dude. It's the same thing, like with us. Like, we're in the Higgs field and we're like, well, What are you talking about? No, I'm not. Like, there's nothing. I'm just like, waving my arms in the air in front of me and there's nothing there. But uh, physicists are like, no, no, there is something there and it's the Higgs field and we're starting to like understand it. And they're calling it the God particle that holds everything together.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe we can agree on that because the more those physicists look around, the more they're going to see evidence of God. And it's not just a particle, buddy, I can tell you that. And so I maybe, think the more they look around, the more the evidence they'll see that trees and jet skis are all part of that amazing awesomeness. But,
1: but it's funny because, like, um, you could call it God. Okay, that's fine. Let's call it God. But it, it, it's funny because we could be picturing different things when, when you say God, like I always think that like with colors and stuff, I'm like, what if when I point to red and I'm like, that's red, I see it as something like it, it looks like a certain color to me, but you're seeing a totally different color, but you, you learned that exact name of that color you're seeing as red. And so we're actually seeing it different, two different colors, but we have learned it as the same name. Like maybe God's like that. Maybe like when you say God, you picture like a white man who's in power and authoritative and like knows everything and can, like, tell everyone what to do all the time and then no, has, like, mean, ultimate judgment that. over yeah. our souls at, like, some ending day. But um, maybe God is just connection. Maybe God is the interconnectedness of all of us. That, that, that uh, uh, And maybe that is the kingdom of heaven is when you're present and connected now. Y- you get to experience a little bit of that spiritual realm.
0: No, I mean, day, first off, I don't think of God as a white man, okay? He's m- way more than that. He is white to me maybe when I think about yeah. him, but I also know that he's like more than that. And also, like you said, uh you're being the more, you're being the limiting person about God here. Yeah, I'm saying God is all of that and a bag of tricks and you just are not even you just you want to focus down and I want to say God is bigger than all that stuff you just said
1: um okay you know what i honestly think i don't know if we've talked about this but you know what i honestly think is like maybe gonna be one of the like biggest challenges or maybe what is like kind of the nail in the coffin of like the future of christendom or whatever i feel like it really might be though like anti-gay stuff and i know like we're not anti-gay I know, but because you got First Corinthians six nine and First Timothy one ten, and it's probably that's the, the stuff that the Christians turn to to derive your like love the sinner, hate welcome. the sin sentiment, right? Yeah, I mean, but you, just... you love the sinner, hate the sin, right? And you got that from First Timothy, and First Corinthians, but right. except for those, but except for the fact that those hateful like anti gay verses were updated to refer to homosexuality in this century. There's no word for the Bible describing homosexuality. It wasn't a word that existed in the ancient world. I know, we talked about this last time. What have they? I- Because you want to point to, like, the granddaddy of the anti-gay text in Romans, Romans 1, 26, 27. It gives you all the ammo you need to be bigoted as a directive from the supreme deity of the universe, except for the fact that that passage that Paul is telling is a complicated old story being told in the past tense about evil beings that were, like, that he he was describing mysteriously, and they were not named. And, like, so you can say these unnamed evil beings, like, got later turned into, like, you know people uh taking a stance again against lgbtqia plus people which is funny like if you know any people from like the lgbtqia plus community i
0: don't don't want to
1: it's you would never say they're wrong you would say like wow they're great Uh, no i can
0: tell you they're not but to
1: say they're wrong is just not supported the the church just doesn't have the courage to open its head or heart and i think that's going to be a real problem for the future of the church truly and I don't know, maybe even like I don't know, abortion. I feel like abortion is like turning the church into like a just
0: a political a political uh, pawn or something. Well, luckily we're not going to have abortion anymore in a few weeks.
1: Man, that is really nuts. It's funny too because <laughs> a lot of Christians say they're pro-life um but man, if you think God, a lot of Christians say they're pro-life because of God or the Bible or whatever. But if you think that God is pro-life, I'm afraid
0: you have not read the Bible. God is definitely pro-life. God knit babies together in the wombs, day. God killed his son. Trust me. If,
1: if there is a God and the Bible is a good description of him he's cool with abortion. And you can quote Unit me together in my mother's womb as your anti-abortion argument all you want. I love thinking about King David, like prolific polygamist, writing a poem meant to be sung that got included in the Psalms. Do you think he wrote the words unit me together in my mother's womb is the perfect argument for sonograms detecting fetal heartbeats and eventually fractioning a democratic experiment thousands of years later on the opposite side of the planet? I'm, I'm pretty sure the pro-life movement is, is, is based on that one verse, but I'll tell you what when it comes to terminating pregnancies the Bible is pretty outspoken as to how to do it and when to do it not uh, the opposite no way oh great okay hold on i can pull it up my phone genesis 2 7 says the bible says that life begins with the first breath not a detectable heartbeat so that would mean life begins at birth i can pull up my reference well on. it doesn't I,
0: say what kind of breath because when you're in in your mom's tummy you're breathing all sorts of stuff
1: you're not breathing you're a sea creature you're an underwater sea creature that's only receiving oxygen like through your blood in the same way like
0: just yeah. I'm just saying my my point is we don't know what kind of breathing that
1: what, talking about. what about Exodus 21, 22, 25, where it says fetuses are not persons? Or Numbers 5, 11 to 31. Fetuses should be aborted as proof of adultery. God leads these priests. Oh, this is amazing. God leads these priests in a magical incantation to determine if a woman has, like, stepped out on her husband and cheated, and to also, like, sterilize her by mixing dust and holy water and making her drink it, what? which is amazing. It's, yeah, Numbers 5, 11 to 31, which actually, it's funny, because God trying to, like, sterilize women if they're, like, you know sexually active or whatever it almost seems like god is the one saying if a woman's going to be sexually active he prefers birth control so maybe the reading, church should like, be passing this, it out
0: is this the message bible sometimes i don't like that translation
1: no this one right here this is niv uh, uh yeah it's amazing like it says these priests would take like dust and they would mix it with this holy water and they would do these incantations it's like all this like magic trick it's it's that's in the bible and it, but it's funny because that one in Numbers is actually God talking about birth control. So maybe the church should be passing out birth control, not prohibiting the Hobby Lobby from covering their female employees' health care. Also, Deuteronomy 28 18 to 24, life is not sacred. Second Kings eight, twelve: 12, God will rip open pregnant mothers to be. Oh, Isaiah 13 18, God says he will kill unborn fetuses. God moved the Medes tribe to rip up the fetuses and quote unquote have no mercy on the fruit of a woman's womb and show no pity to the children. Hosea 9, 10 to 16, God will destroy fetuses in utero. God brags about causing miscarriages. He's proud of being a prolific, prolific abortionist. Hosea 13, 16, because of the Samarians' rebellion, God promises to dash infants in pieces, those that are already newly born. And for the unborn, God promises to again, quote unquote, rip open pregnant women. I think that Maybe people who are anti-abortion, and first of all, let's just dispel with the incredibly deceptive and self-congratulatory pro-life language, people who are anti-abortion are not pro-life. There are so many children and many, many young women who have been born and are rotting in the streets and in the systems, and the so-called pro-life folks are nowhere to be found. Once a fetus is born, especially if it's born to a person who's struggling, it's shit out of luck all the energy of- and all the activism of those anti-abortionists it all stops the moment life appears here in the flesh you know what it takes to sustain life to be pro-life those little kiddos need resources education and health care that's pro-life like when someone is here it's not a pro-life movement it's a forced birth movement and it's anti-abortion and anyway it just seems like these forced birthers you know they think that Pro-choice people love abortion. Like, my dad loves drinking that PrEP gallon and having a doctor rummage around inside his booty hole. It's insulting. Nobody loves abortions. When you get one, it's a difficult thing, emotionally and physically. It's hard. It's painful. It's so hard on, on, on the person who has to go through that, but you do it for your health and your future, just like other healthcare procedures that are not pleasant. Like when a person terminates a pregnancy, they're not having fun. It's not part of health. It's health care that's difficult and painful. Like my dad has to do to address his health and protecting his future by having a doctor help him live longer. But honestly... I'll go back to something you were saying about how the Bible has answers for everything in the whole wide world. Like you, you were saying like, it gives you all this joy and peace. It answers any question you've ever had uh, about why we're here and where this is all going. And like, do, do you feel like it speaks to parts of modern life? Like of what, what's wrong, what's right. And what's wrong. Like with AI
0: or the global economy or democracy or capitalism or crypto, do you feel like yeah. it speaks to all that stuff? Yeah, I totally do. I mean, you know, it speaks specifically to all those things and that's why it's so important for us to know what's in there. And if, you know, if you know your Bible, you will have all the right answers. You'll be able to win any argument about morality or politics or anything, as I think has been demonstrated.
1: So the Bible confirms all your beliefs and supports your ethics system and is all the proof you need to prove that you're right?
0: Yeah, for the most part. I mean, at least I think so.
1: Then can you explain 2 Timothy 3.16 to me?
0: Oh, you know, like all scripture is God-breathed?
1: Yeah. Keep going with that verse. What comes after that?
0: You know, I'll look it up later.
1: I have it on my phone, I'll tell you. The rest of verse 16, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. Scripture is for reproof, correction,
0: and instruction. Yeah, that is awesome.
1: What does reproof mean?
0: Like, proving?
1: I looked it up. Reproof means blame or disapproval. Awesome. So this verse is saying that the Bible should be disapproving of our lives, not affirming them. Like, how could it offer reproof or correct you? if you're already right, with nothing else to learn. If the Bible is doing nothing but affirming everything you already believe, it seems like you're using it wrong, according to what it
0: says. It should be
1: disagreeing with you.
0: Well, I mean, there's a great verse in the Bible that says, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it.
1: Hmm. You know what my favorite verse is right now? Probably something out of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, do you like D and D? No, of course not. It's, it's really fun. It's no, it's not. It's storytelling exactly like the Bible. You like it? It's 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 just like the Bible. The Bible has you know zombies obviously with the dry bones. The Bible has um, you know people being turned into pillars of salt, like much like the uh, the goblins were oh, right. in Tolkien the, yeah. and all that stuff. You like it? It's really good. It's it's fun. It's storytelling. It's creative. It's
0: actually like, I I hate to tell grown-ups this, but it's like really wholesome. <laughs> well, actually, I want to keep my social life, so I'll never look at it. Mm, okay.
1: My favorite verse is, um, Galatians five one. Okay. It it says, "It is for freedom that Christ has set us free." So we should be freeing ourselves free people free people like we shouldn't be doesn't seem like according to jesus we should be you know locking people up in a bunch of rules and regulations but
0: do you think of yourself as a free person me yeah
1: um yeah
0: yeah and free people free people
1: yeah <laughs>
0: yeah okay well i'm asking you to free me right now because i've got to go i set me free i've got to go meet my friend clay mason bennerman clay yeah whatever La <laughs> Bont was played by none other than holly laurent you can hear her every single week on this podcast playing holly labont Gray Haas was played by Greg Hess. Follow us and Mega the Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you really want to get out of hell free card, support us on Patreon. The link is in the show notes.